1: Hello. Hi. Welcome back to Old Millennials, a deep dive on shallow topics from the late 90s and 2000s. I am one of your hosts, Emily Beijen.
2: And I am your other host, Margot Poupard.
1: Before we get into it today, we've got to do a little pop culture check in. <laughs> um, at the time of this recording, it is Friday, November 12th, 2021. And I got to say, this is like our 30 for 30. I was going to say,
2: Emily, we don't even need to note the exact date because it shall be written in the history books going forward. What a roller coaster. You thought it was going to be the end of the year and you could relax a bitch. No, the 2021 will not get off of our necks. I am spent. Oh my God, where, where to start? I mean, I, I don't even know where, should, I, okay, wait. That, I think we should go with, the, I was going to say, should we, should we yeah. start with what the made you cry first thing in the morning? Oh, Nothing was more humiliating than running down to Sean, my, the events of my day that started with, I cried watching the, and just like that trailer is like, wow. And then what happened after I'm like, then I cried a few more times over different things. It was very strange.
1: I cried over that trailer I cried at the picture of Paris and Nicole at the wedding, uh, at Paris's wedding. For those of you who don't know, Paris Hilton got married. Nicole Richie was at the wedding, and there was a picture of them together, and it's very sweet.
2: I cried over the photos of Kathy Hilton with Paula Abdul performing behind her, which were just (laughs) perfect. (laughs) Kooky rich lady um propaganda. Like I just like just, this is the this is the life I would love to lead to. You know, this is the direction I am heading into. Especially since I had my own hunky like who is hunky dory moment last night when Sean was like he said album weird. He had like a pause between the words Al and bum, and so I turned around. I was like, who's Al bum? He's like, what? I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> That's how this week has been going. So anyway, I feel yeah, I felt I felt reflected. I felt seen. I felt held when I looked at that picture. So, you know, I got a little teary-eyed. So much. But I just can't believe, first of all, that Paris got married on a Thursday, which like you would think that would be beneath her, but I get it. Like she loves Eleven Eleven, she so loves on and I. so forth. But I I haven't watched any of Paris in Love, and I don't know no. if you have. It but-
1: just came out, though, didn't it? Like really, like this? Or is game, it even out? <laughs> it is because I saw Paramount Plus. There was like an ad for it. Mm. So, and because I know this because I have Paramount Plus, I keep forgetting to cancel it. But you're on my <laughs> Apple no, no, cancel it. That's yeah, how you're I want on my
2: Apple TV. <laughs>
1: That's how I'm going to watch Drag Race this, is, this season. You can't cancel it. I mean, I just, I got to think about my finances a little bit, but yeah. Wait, but isn't
2: Paris and Love on Peacock, not
1: Paramount? You're right. It's on Peacock. I, I get them confused. But that you There's, should cancel. Yes, that oh. I, well, I can't. I get it for free with my Xfinity.
2: <laughs> uh, oh, okay. But, well, that's neither here nor there. So oh. I guess my whole question is, because I haven't seen the show yet, or maybe we will and watch it for like Patreon or something. But my question is, him? Like yeah. I don't, you know, she's been engaged like n- nineteen times to borrow from Teresa Dujite. but like she's been engaged a whole bunch. Like, what makes him the 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 standout? I, maybe, I would love to know. Maybe
1: she just needs that. Like, she is Paris Hilton. She's already very much like a personality, a mm-hmm. person, like uh, you know, has a lot, takes up a lot of space, if you will. Maybe sure. she just needs that. Um,
2: well, I, I have also, this theory that people don't really love, which is that in all relationships, there's somebody who's the quote unquote star and then there's the supporting actor. And I know it doesn't sound nice, but that's why you can't have two stars in a relationship or else your shit implodes. Like, or you at least need to be able to know when to hand off the baton or move over for yes, the spotlight. You know what say, I mean? The benefit or not
1: exception the s- is like for me. Well, but yeah. I
2: think it's because. Ben doesn't give a shit about being fucking famous. He just that's wants true. to eat his donkeys and spend all of his money on that's gambling. True. You that's know what true. I mean? That's and smoke true. a cigarette and peace. Don't yes. we all? I think so that I actually think fits perfectly into my equation. You know, I, I would say right. like, maybe I that's don't why know. They're
1: better this time around, actually, I would say. yeah. Um, the other thing that happened today is the first picture from Hocus Pocus 2 was released. Two um, pieces
2: of SJP content. I mean, she,
1: she knows how to put on a release. Like, good on her. Good on her. What else do we have going on today? I'm just – I was doing a quick scroll. Oh, stroll.
2: hello. Brittany's conservatorship oh ended. Oh, my God. Emily.
1: How could I? How – I? I mean <laughs>
2: – A bunch of Hail Marys for you. <laughs> I know. I am – Beyond how? Interest. Do you Keep know on. how many hours we Can have we... spent talking about I this? Know. I think it's because I'm hungry
1: right now. That's the only reason
2: I forgot. Get your I... fucking head in the game. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, but it is funny that like, not funny, but like the three, the iconic like mid 2000s photo of a uh, Brittany, Paris and Lindsay in a car together Oh, my God. And then
2: Lindsay's photo came out. Jesus
1: Christ. Lindsay's Netflix trailer, Netflix Halloween movie trailer with Cord Overstreet from Glee.
2: Yeah, we don't need to talk about him. What I'm really focusing on is now this parallel that you've driven that you've pointed out between the famous photo of the three of them and like all three of them having really wonderful news happening today. Oh, I'm posting on Instagram about this. (laughs) (laughs) But what I want to know is what. In astrology is currently happening that brought all of these forces together all at once? That's my question, sheeple. It's Scorpio season <laughs> almost. I have a feeling like
1: we're almost it's, there. But I feel it's like there's time
2: We're in retrograde or something. You know, I have like the Channing Nicholas app all this. And like I look at it often. I still have no idea what's happening. I've given someone money to explain it to me. And I'm still like, "Mm." it's like stocks. I'm still just like, I can't fully wrap my mind around it other than like Sagittarius Sun, Capricorn rising. With that being said, there is something because I know I had seen a post in passing, but unfortunately, you know, when you're like scrolling through social media, everything sort of blends together and you're like, what was that? Was it a trailer or did I read a caption about it? So I, all I'm saying is that it's in the stars. This is not a coincidence. (laughs) What a day. What a day. Oh, and there was also a, well, yesterday there was the trailer for Real Houses of Orange County, plus the first five minutes of Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip. And both were excellent. So it's truly a blessed time. And I'm sure you saw that five minute clip for the next or this Sunday's episode of Salt Lake, where Meredith tells Mary while she's in a bath, actively in a bath, that Genshaw got arrested for like fraud.
1: Oh my god! <laughs> a I mean, fucking it's unhinged the gift,
2: scene. The
1: gift that keeps on giving.
2: All week, mentally, I've been at the beauty lab and laser parking lot. That's all I got to say. <laughs> Aren't we all fifteen minute <laughs>
1: Botox spot like? <laughs>
2: nothing i would nothing would bring you more joy than, than to pull up into that parking spot
1: uh well to bring it back i mean i think it's great that Ooh. we had a little like m- moment in time there in the mid 2000s because we're taking it back a little bit today uh more specifically around 2001 2002 for you for me we're in middle school early high school we're having feelings with a capital f Emo bands are helping us get through the sadness and the heartbreak, but sometimes they're just too many dicks with crooked bangs on the dance floor. You need someone who's going to provide a feminist perspective, maybe accompanied with a guitar or a piano and some angsty lyrics. And today we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about an acoustic duo, Miss Michelle Branch and Miss Vanessa Carlton. I don't know why I added the missus there. I sound like a creep,
2: but basically. So, I don't know. Cause I mean, we can't, <laughs> we can't call them dames. Like they haven't been knighted in the way we feel like no, they no, no, should no, no. <laughs> because yes. of the respect we must be putting on their names. So I see where you're going with it. That's why I didn't really like say anything. So, I'm like, yeah, what would, what would be our equivalent? You know, I don't know.
1: I, I just like, I was a little, I was like ready for you to say something. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no. Uh, also like in choir, I don't know, we got called Miss a lot or like Missy and it wasn't missy. nice. And so it wasn't nice. so part of me feels like it felt right regardless.
1: <laughs> One I agree. I agree. So in the early two thousands, record, record labels decided in response to the beginning of the backlash to the blondes of bubblegum pop, which was completely sexist, but you know, we don't have to get into that. We've talked about it enough on other episodes. They wanted to shift towards marketing female singer songwriters, uh, kind of a continuation of the Lilith Fair circuit of late 90s. There seemed to be some surface level shift towards more authentic, quote, you know, quote unquote, authentic voices in music. But these musicians, the ones we're talking about today, were still heavily controlled image wise by their record labels. Sadly, many of their hits have gone on to be like the best of that you hear on loudspeakers at CVS while you're shopping for tampons and allergy meds. Once again,
2: they belong in a very special place called the CVS Bangers Playlist.
1: (laughs) they, are you the creator of that? I'm trying. You've t- you've you no, created this playlist,
2: right? No, I cannot take any credit. It's uh, Zoe. I'm just the I'm just Zoe. the number one fan. Uh, I. Yeah. I think I told you that when I went on that writer's retreat in September, we were all talking about, you know, what we really love to listen to while we're in a Walgreens or a CVS. And then I just drunkenly text. I was like, I need the playlist like ASAP. And like everybody (laughs) lost their minds over like lower all lowercase matchbox 20 or there was obviously Vanessa Carlton. And two Michelle Branch songs on there, Ugh, so you not know. one
1: but two. Thank you, Zoe, for putting that together. I know. Thank I you for your service. It. Thank <laughs> you for your service. Thank you for being a foot soldier for the cause. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I um, that, I mean, it's a great playlist. I, I I
2: feel like we'll have to link to it at one point before we yeah get- with her with her permission we should <laughs> with her um, yes yes we should add it to the pantheon of old millennials playlists.
1: One hundred percent. Before we get into it, were you
2: into Vanessa
1: Carlton and Michelle Branch? Did you own their CDs? I definitely
2: owned Spirit Room. And mm-hmm. I might have had Hotel Paper or maybe I had a burned copy. I don't remember if because I don't remember the cover for Hotel Paper as vividly as I do the Spirit Room. But I was a big Michelle Branch fan and I would also blame her for why I asked for a guitar one year. Cause I'm like, ah, I'm gonna channel all of my feelings into a guitar. So yeah. And like <laughs> I think when I realized that I couldn't have long nails and play guitar, I was like, okay, well I'm over it. <laughs> so that, that it. was one. <laughs> that was very short lived. But I really I mean I I think Spirit Room still holds up today because I'll talk about it further in my Michelle branch portion, but she re-recorded the album um just earlier this year for its 20th anniversary and it's it sounds even better now but it also she's doing the you know taylor swift impact um doing some like special cuts or like different mixes on some of them which i always find to be interesting and listening them back to back but i wouldn't say i disliked or even liked vanessa carlton i still think thousand miles is like a fucking banger and like it's placement in the pop culture pantheon in the iconic scene from White White Chicks, which also is a movie yes. I recently rewatched. And that scene is just as funny as it is so now funny. as it was before. There's some cringy parts throughout that movie, but that scene holds the fuck up. And I feel like that movie really crystallized how I don't, how long-lasting this movie or this song's memory would be. I 100%
1: agree. And the other thing is funny is that Terry Crews is interviewed in one of the videos I watched to do my research on Vanessa Carlton. They had a whole video, Vice put together a documentary about the song, And Terry Crews was, it was like a mini doc, like 20 minutes. But Terry Crews was interviewed for it because he's like, it's the song that changed my life. Like it, (laughs) it helped my acting career. Like White Chicks made me a very famous person. Like he very much credits that song in that scene.
2: Yeah. I, I felt the part where they make up the words always gets me. I don't know when they like pass it to them. They're like, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's the one <laughs> that always gets me. But yeah, that song. It also, you know, of my heart, white chicks of my mind. Anytime I step into a pharmacy, <laughs> I hear, I hear a thousand miles.
1: I have one other question for you, which is, would you add any honorable mentions to this category of the early 2000s, you know, singer,
2: songwriter genre? Hmm. Well, I mean, we kind of talked about her already. Fifi Dobson is another person that I kind of was thinking about when I went back and listened to Michelle Branch's discography. And that's who came to mind first. But I really can't think of anybody else. Do you have anybody in mind? Um, So I definitely
1: put Fifi in that category a little bit Avril like I know she was punk rock but ultimately she was writing her own music Um, and then I feel like there are a few others that had like a hit here a hit there like Katie Tunstall or um, Anna Nalik like they each had like one song in the early to mid 2000s and then their guy equivalents I mean I feel I feel like it might have been like Howie Day and Ryan Cabrera a little bit like I might even go into Ashley Simpson, but I think she's too pop for this. Um,
2: Yeah, because there are a couple of people I can think of that I think actually maybe skew more pop and not more singer-songwriter. Because I would say the the equivalent for me with Michelle Branch is definitely like Sheryl Crow. Like that's who she reminds me of the most.
1: Right, right, right. That makes sense.
2: And I don't know... Who else would be like that? Because then, you know, the next iteration of that would be like Taylor Swift, honestly. Mm -hmm. So even though she skews more pop to now, but, you know, she still started out with being a songwriter with her guitar. So I feel like they have that in common. Yeah, I'd
1: agree. I'd agree. (laughs) You want to get into it?
2: Oh, yeah. Let me start off with Michelle Jaquette de Severin Branch, who was born July 2nd. 1983, in Sedona, Arizona, her father is Irish, and her mom is of Dutch, Indonesian, and French descent. Her maternal grandmother was held in a Japanese internment camp during World War II, and in a recent interview with Nylon that I'm going to be pulling out some quotes from, Branch talks about, regretting not talking to her grandmother more about her experience in Japan. Although it was very obviously hard for her to talk about it because when Michelle branch ended up touring in Japan some years ago, she found herself visiting the places where her grandmother grew up and she wished that she had known more. And I thought that was just sort of a very interesting, lovely sentiment because she also in that interview talks a lot about being first generation and also being like the first mainstream pop singer songwriter that's asian and that nobody really talks about that that much that's very
1: interesting you bring that up i like i hadn't thought about that but it's very true i feel like they did a lot to kind of erase that identity from her um wow yeah i hadn't thought of that
2: i wouldn't say erase i would just say that and she talks about it too she just never really until she got older because she was so young when she started she never really thought about it she thought that she was being um, not qualified in a certain area of female singers because she was a brunette and because she played guitar, right? She said that she loves pop music and she loves Britney Spears. She just can't dance. And that's not really like the kind of music that she is that into to sing for herself. So I yeah. found that to be really interesting because what she said was that later, well, not later, but like in her tours overseas, specifically in Asia, people would come and see her for from miles around from hours away because they were so uh, impressed and elated to see somebody that looked kind of like them playing music on this scale. It's like has this international pop stardom, you know? And so she talks a lot about that and how that made her realize how important it was for her to sort of put that f- like kind of more to the forefront versus just being like, Oh, I'm just a brunette, which mm. I found to be interesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyway, back to her upbringing, After the war, her grandmother moved from the Netherlands, where her mom was later born, to Arizona when her mom was five. So beginning to sing at the age of three, Michelle Branch enrolled in voice lessons at Northern Arizona University when she was eight and received her first guitar on her 14th birthday. After she taught herself some chords, she composed her first song, Fallen, within a week of getting her guitar, and she initially attended Sedona Red Rock High School, but Left in the last two years and decided to do homeschooling so she could focus on her music, which is what a lot of showbiz kids are wont to do. So between, well, 83 is when she was born, but between, you know, let's say late 90s to the 2000s, this is her Broken Bracelet era, which is the name of her first album. Her parents were very, very supportive of her. They helped her book local gigs around Sedona, and they also funded broken bracelet which completely sounds like an album title written by a 14 year old oh yeah her set- <laughs> yeah right but her set list at her gigs included a lot of cover songs by people that she really looked up to like cheryl Crow, lisa Loeb, jewel and fleetwood mac this is relevant because some of the producers that she will later work with on the spirit room had previously worked with a lot of these artists which you know firmly falls into the category of ask believe receive baby play them and they shall come in december of 99 she posted okay so this part i'm just like what i didn't know that this was a thing in december 99 she posted two of her songs to the rolling stone website which like i assume right i assume they had some sort of whatever the equivalent of discord was in 99 uh, as a part of the website maybe like um what am i thinking of like a message board since this was 99 um yeah but it, just hearing that, I had, I guess, I just like don't have a ton of context to what Rolling Stone was doing on a website in '99, so that was sort of odd. It was an odd way to discover somebody because when after she posted those two songs, both Hanson and former former Rolling Stone writer turned record producer Jeff Rabhan eventually decided to sign her, and it led to two gigs of her opening for Hanson in 2000. And in June of 2000, an indie record label, Twin Dragon, released Broken Bracelet, which ended up being a compilation of songs that she wrote, starting when she was 14, and covers. And the title, Broken Bracelet, was inspired by a bracelet that Jewel made that was then given t- This is the like longest name salad I've ever said in my life. Jewel made this bracelet. This bracelet was then given to Michelle Branch by Steve Polutz, who is like a touring musician, at a Lisa Loeb concert. Oh, and my P- God. And Talk Pult's- about... <laughs> like a Lilith Fair but I'm telling you, it's like, I'm like climbing up a shitty rope. Line. I'm just like, who? And then what? And then you're giving her where? And then, so anyway, Polutz then tells Branch that when it breaks, she'll be famous. So that's why it's called Broken Bracelet. The recordings, unfortunately, they were destroyed in the Nashville floods in May of 2010. So maybe she'll re-record re-record that. Mm. That's, that could be a fun project. Anyway. On a lighter note, between 2001 and 2005, she will release The Spirit Room and Hotel Paper. Michelle, in 2001, signs a record deal with Maverick Records and begins working with John Shanks to produce her first album and major label debut. The Spirit Room was released on in August of 2001, and she had the good fortune... Of a fairly hands-off record label, which is kind of unheard of for new artists, because by the time the label asked to hear some songs, she and Shanks had basically already finished the album. So that's why it was like such a quick turnaround time from getting signed to the album kind of coming out. The Mm -hmm. lead single, Everywhere, was a huge commercial success. And when she went to go on TRL for the first time, it was the first time it was hitting number four. And then she would later go on to win the 2002 VMA Viewer Choice Award. Everywhere was later followed by All You Wanted and Goodbye to You. Thanks to her instant mainstream success, The Spirit Room went double platinum, selling over 2 million copies. Branch would also be nominated for two Grammys in two thousand two, Best New Artist, which she'd lose to Nora Jones, but she would win Best Pop collaboration for the work that she does on a Santana song called The Game of Love, which I don't remember that song. Do you?
1: Yes. It's on okay. the Santana album that followed Supernatural. And it's actually written uh-huh. by written by Greg Alexander, who was the lead singer of the New Radicals. Fun fact.
2: Thank you. I had all those facts in there, but I cut them because I was like, whatever. (laughs) But I'm glad that you mentioned them. So I was like, is this important? I don't know. Um, Her second album, Hotel Paper, named for the paper that she predominantly would write her songs on, was released in 2003 and debuted at number two on the Billboard 200, as well as went certified platinum in the first week for selling over a million copies. Despite mixed reviews, her lead single, Are You Happy Now?, was another commercial success and led to another Grammy nomination for Best Female Rock Vocal Performance, but she lost that to Pink. Unfortunately, though, her subsequent singles, Breathe, which is good, and Till I Get Over You, which is also good, didn't see the same level of success. So she started, no pun intended, branching out to TV. She appeared on Buffy, American Dreams, and Charmed. In June of 2004, she hosted MTV's Faking the Video with Nicholas Shea and J.C. (laughs) Chazay. She also appeared in the Rob Schneider vehicle of The Hot Chick. Also in 2004, she married her bass player, Teddy Landau, and welcomed her daughter that following summer. Between 2005 and 2007, she would be a part of a band known as the Wreckers. In July of 2005, she began collaborating with her backup slash friend, Jessica Harp, initially known as the Cass County Home Wreckers, a joke made by Branch's husband, which is a huge, like, that, you know, that fate, that emoji face where he has like a squiggly mouth
3: and you're just like, yeah, like yeah, yeah.
2: the case I'm making. Yes. So they, but they edited it down to just The Wreckers. Their album attempted to combine their respective genres, pop rock and country. It was initially slated for a June 2005 release, but then was obviously delayed because Branch was pregnant and postpartum. The duo's first single, Leave the Pieces, was released in February of 2006, while their album, Stand and Still Look Pretty, was released later that year in May. I love that
1: song, by the way. I'm pretty sure I did it in an acapella group in college. <laughs>
2: It is a good song. I like the records. I actually really hadn't revisited them in a long time. I think I maybe had given the album one listen through, like back when it came out, and then kind of forgot about it. But in going back today, I was like, oh, these are good songs. They're very. I mean, especially now with like a Casey Musgrave sort of Mm -hmm. resurgence. I'm like, or like the Chicks too. It's sort of you know, it's that it's country pop, right? Like that's what it is. Anyway, also during this time, she contributed to Santana's album All That I Am with the song I'm Feeling You. She also made guest appearances on One Tree Hill. The group was nominated for a 2006 CMA Award for Vocal Duo of the Year and for a Grammy for Best Country Performance by a Duo for the song Leave the Pieces in December 2006. Standstill, Look Pretty was certified gold, and they sold just shy of a million copies as of March of 2009. But the records would split in 2007, and after that, Michelle Branch would sell her caliber her Calabasas home and moved to Nashville, Tennessee. And now kind of comes this, and this is the time period of her career that really reminds me of Fifi Dobson. It's this, this time where there's just, she's making a bunch of music, but none of it really ever sees the light of day. So post Rutgers breakup, Branch wrote an unreleased song for Mandy Moore's 2007 album, Wild Hope. Also a great album. Mm -hmm. She also wrote together for the sisterhood of the traveling pants two and that song would later go on to be featured in the final song ever played in the CBS long-running soap opera Guiding Light. In October of 2007, she announced that she was working on a new solo album and later reported that the title would be Everything Comes and Goes. So from that Nylon album, I'll just refer to this quote that she gave about what happened to the album. Uh, she would say she says, "I've had two albums that were finished, which is crazy. I have a country album that I made after the records. And then I have a pop record that I made. The song Loud Music came out as the first thing and then the label had changed. Everything got put on hold. Then it sort of fell apart. I have an album called West Coast Time that was shelved and then an album called Everything Comes and Goes that was also shelved. If it was possible to one day release those for people who want to hear them, it'd be amazing because I know versions of them exist on YouTube if you're really determined enough to find them. So that, again, that really is what reminded me the most of Phoebe Dobson's situation was like, I recorded all these albums and they just got shelved. And then that old fucking song and dance of like the record label had changed. And then everything sort of fell apart from there. So ridiculous. Maybe one day that'll happen. In February of 2012, VH1 hosted the 100 Greatest Women in Music special. And she was nominated for both the pop category and Greatest Female Artist of All Time. So from 2013 to present... She gets a new record deal and she releases another album that I actually had never heard till today that is very good called Hopeless Romantic. In 2015, she announced that she signed with Verve Records and following up that year with an appearance, and I hope you remember this, an appearance on Full Frontal with Samantha B, where she sings Goodbye, Ted Cruz, obviously yes. a reworking satire of Goodbye to You when he had to suspend his U.S. presidential campaign. <laughs> I think that was probably the first time I had seen her since like... I don't know, 2010. So it was a real treat to see her pop up and sing that. Yes, would agree. Also in 2015, she met Pat Carney of the Black Keys at a Grammy party, and the two of them started dating while he produced her album, Hopeless Romantic. They have a child, two dogs, and another kid on the way. They live in Nashville. They're fine. We don't need to get into it, but I thought that'd be a good place to sort of pop in a little update. But back to Hopeless Romantic. It was released in April of 2017, and then later in 2017, September, she announced that she was going to leave Verve altogether. I would assume probably over the, let's say, non-promotion over her album, because I don't remember that coming out at all. And you would think that in 2017, it's a pretty good nostalgia time that somebody would kind of make some noise about her album coming out. I don't remember anything about it. I don't either. So that's just me purely speculating. Earlier this year, she confirmed that she'd be re-recording The Spirit Room, a la JoJo and Taylor. It's already out on streaming, but the vinyl is due out early next year, March 2022, to be exact, because of the supply chain. Two weeks in a row, this is our new 9 <laughs> She also has a new album coming out, more on that album via her interview with Nylon. Quote, I made it during quarantine here at the house with Patrick. It was just me, and we had one other person come in and play strings at the very end. But it was one of those things where we were just trying to stay busy through the pandemic, and I had all these feelings I was sitting on. It's mixed, finished, mastered, and it's called Trouble with the Fever, and it's coming out on Nonesuch, which is the same label as Keys in late spring, early summer. That's got real jog joggers, Sheree Whitfield vibes, but late spring, early summer, I'm so excited that I have that to look forward to. So I've got some more. That's mostly... All the way up to speed on Michelle Branch. I think she recently had a live stream concert that they were selling tickets to when I was reading about her in the nylon piece. But just some more fun quotes to sort of wrap it up. Some thoughts from her about The Spirit Room at 20. I was actually thinking about doing this back on the 10th anniversary of The Spirit Room and kind of missed the window. Over the years, I get comments from people like, oh my God, the version of Everywhere that you do in the encore, do you have that recorded anywhere? I started to realize that I have a lot of these songs that sound different from playing them over the years because I just can't sing that high. And I just thought it would be a cool thing to do for fans. I wanted to strip away the dated 2001 elements of it. It took six months to redo because it was so hard. Not that I wanted to recreate the original. And now the most pertinent piece of information, what she thinks about her and Vanessa Carlton, essentially, <laughs> once they're getting pitted against each other, but they had a little like a Britney V. Christina, like where people refused to let them both coexist in the space. There had to be like a winner, quote unquote. Branch says, we've never talked about it. I would hear jokes through common friends. I know there's been times where I'd go to on the red carpet and people would say, Vanessa, Vanessa. And I'd say, I'm not Vanessa. And the same would happen to Vanessa with me. We would get compared a lot because we were both brunettes and we would both be on certain radio show bills together, but never really hung out or knew each other until much later when all of that had been behind us. I just think it's a very specific feminine thing that we have to deal with. Like, I wonder if John Mayer at the time got compared to Jason Mraz or confused with <laughs> him all the time. People were so quick to be like, you're the anti-Britney. And I was like, I'm a teenage girl. I fucking love those songs. I can't dance like Britney, but I'm not anti If you think back to 2001, the tabloids really hadn't hit yet. There wasn't really much as far as gossip. So maybe that was just the beginning of it all. I just found that to be very interesting and funny. But that is Michelle Jaquette de Severin Branch. Carney. I think you brought up the right thing,
1: which is just, like, these two people, Vanessa Carlton and Michelle Branch, never saw themselves as, like, better than or anything like that when it came to Britney or any other, like, blonde pop singer at the time. I think labels just were trying to, you know, make an image, create an image that would sell, and to have them be pitted as the anti-Britney, the anti-Christina, was going to sell records for a short period of time. Um, It's also interesting how they both have fought for – kind of have their own voices – no pun intended, Um, in terms of being able to like have a say in their image and what gets put out there, what their content of the material is. Um, Vanessa Carlton's really interesting because she struggled with that a lot during her time at A&M Records. But I'll get into that now um, with Vanessa Carlton, whose middle name I don't have on me. Let me just check that. Vanessa (coughs) Lee Carlton. So... Vanessa Lee Carlton was born August 16th, 1980 in Milford, Pennsylvania. Her dad is a pilot. Her mom is a music teacher and a pianist, where this is how she starts playing piano. She grew up super immersed in the arts. So she's singing. She was playing piano from a very, very young age, like two or three, and then dancing. She was so serious about dance that she actually enrolled in the School of American Ballet at the age of 14. So she was living center stage in real life. She actually struggled with a lot of pressure over there. She had depression and she actually had an eating disorder, um, both of which she would overcome. But her anxiety over all of this uh, caused her to skip a lot of classes. And really, she found solace in finding a piano in one of the dance rooms and began playing it all the time to help deal with everything. Eventually, she would go to Columbia for a year, but would drop out to begin focusing on her music, so she would work at a restaurant while trying to get a record deal, playing open mic nights and such. She would eventually meet songwriter and producer Peter Zizzo through Singer-Songwriter Circles. He's a heavy in the music industry, and you know how much we love a good list here, so here are some of the artists he has written for. J. Lo, Avril Lavigne, Donna Summer, Diana Ross, Clay Aiken, and our queen Celine Dion. In fact, he's written a ton for her, including the song Love is on the Way, which was also recorded by Billy Porter for the first Wives Club soundtrack, which has Hmm. an iconic key change. Great song. So anyway, Zizzo and Vanessa Carlton team up to put together a demo about a month after she met him, and then they begin shopping it super quickly, so much so that she is signed three months after finishing the demo by Jimmy Iovine at A&M Records. They begin work on her original debut, which was then called Rinse, and was never actually released. Many of those songs would end up reworked on her actual debut album, Be Not Nobody. The experience at A and M was not great for Vanessa Carlton. She had gotten what she wanted, but her image was very controlled by the A and R guy that had been assigned to her at the label. She felt super uncomfortable with him. Like she talked about it in this Vice documentary, um, she felt like kind of creeped out by him. So she decided, against her then manager's wishes, to talk to Jimmy Iovine about it. And Ivine was like, that's fine. Um, and he ends up connecting her with Ron Fair. And the reason for that is Ron Fair absolutely falls in love with her demo. Um, Ron Fair, we've talked about on this podcast before, was responsible for Christine Aguilera, worked with, actually worked with Wild Orchid, who we've talked about on this podcast. Oh, yes. And married one of the members. So oh. uh, okay. yeah, I, a bit of an age difference. <laughs>
2: Yeah, definitely, definitely not a first marriage. Um, well, look, Michelle Branch and her first husband had quite an age difference. He was yes. born in sixty eight, and she was born in eighty three. It was like, oh boy, that you know, twenty. It sounded like an amicable divorce, so I will not disparage anybody. But yeah, I was like, that's that's the difference. Vanessa Carlton will
1: date Stephen Jenkins. I'll talk more about that later from Third Eye Blind, and they had like a solid 15 year age difference. So this is like
2: real, like Lord and that her ex boyfriend vibes. You're just like, how yes. old are you again? Yes, yes. To the guy, not to Lord, obviously. Not to Lord, obviously. Um,
1: But she ends up getting to work with Ron Fair because. Uh, Jimmy Ivine gives Ron Fair a bunch of CDs, almost like the pile of manuscripts at the publisher, where they're like, I don't know what to do with this. Um, so he finds Vanessa Carlton's demo. And on track seven, he hears the song called Interlude. And there's a piano riff that he absolutely loves and keeps playing it, and wants to immediately meet with her to talk about re recording the album. This song would become known as "A Thousand Miles," a song whose music video on YouTube has over three hundred million views, which is fucking what? insane. What? Yes, yes. <laughs> People what? love it. That's wild. I know. Okay, I know. Oh I watched. So in this documentary uh, that Vice put together, they I said that they mentioned they interviewed Terry Crews, they interviewed Ron Fair, and they interviewed Vanessa Carlton. The song is actually about a Juilliard student that she had a crush on while she was a student at the American Ballet School. And she won't say who it is, but it was a famous actor. And so I spent a solid 30 minutes of my research trying to come up with a list of contenders considering she was born in 1980. She was a Columbia around 98. So she's around, you know, School of American Ballet, probably mid to late 90s. I picked a few people. Here are my contenders. Um, at number one is Wes Bentley. This seems to be a top one for people who have written about this. Morena Backerin because she specifically says, does not allude to whether it was a man or a woman, because she's actually bisexual. Anthony Mackie, Glenn Howerton, Elizabeth Reeser, and then who I hope it is, Lee Pace, because like Evan Ross Katz, I am a big fan of six foot five
2: actor Lee Pace. Uh, Yeah, no, seeing Lee Pace stand in a room that's too small for him does stuff to me. I also kind of secretly hope, oh my God, what were the last two names after Anthony Mackie? There were two other good ones. Glenn Howerton. Glenn Howerton truly makes me want (laughs) to scream. That's so funny.
1: (laughs) I know. I really. I mean, I could see. You know, there is a little bit of me that sees like Glenn Howerton being the person here. Um, like, there could very did he use the Dennis system on her? I hope not. One thousand percent,
2: he did. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, Ron Fair led the arrangements of re-recording uh, this song as well as the rest of the album for "Be Not Nobody." He decides to add a lot of strings in the arrangements, a lot of orchestrations. It becomes a lot more grandiose, if you will. Um, the music video for A Thousand Miles, which is, again, iconic. The music video, as I mentioned before, has been viewed by a lot of people on YouTube. was directed by Mark Classfield, who is known for directing Nellie's Country Grammar, Alien and Farm Smooth Criminal, In Girlfriend, Bubba Sparks Ugly, Some41's Fat Lip, and a billion other videos we've talked about on this podcast, but I had to stop at 2002 because I, you know, I don't have time for that. It depicts Vanessa Carlton on a Dolly playing the piano on the highway all over LA in a bike race in the suburbs. Like there was actually no use of green screen in this. It is a custom built Dolly that they made for her and a safety belt that they <laughs> strapped on her, which I'm just like only in 2000 in a male dominated music industry would they put this poor woman, young woman in like harm's way to record this music. <laughs> anyway, um, this would end up being originally released on the Legally Blonde soundtrack in 2001. And then eventually the song would peak at number five on the Billboard Hot 100. And it remains our highest charting single to this day. It would be followed by the singles Ordinary Day, which peaked at number 30 and Pretty Baby, which never made it to the top, the Hot 100, but was number one on the, I believe now defunct, Bubbling Under 100 Billboard chart. One of the many defunct charts that we talked about.
2: Oh, and also the most buff, like, what does that even fucking mean, you guys? Like, did you know. really think this through at all? What are I we talking about? Bubbling under what? Just it's consolidate like, your charts, Billboard. Get help. Get help. Get help. The
1: album Be Not Nobody would re- be released on April 30 2002, gone on to sell over 2.3 million albums. A Thousand Miles would become the sixth most played song of the year, garnered Grammy Award nominations for Record of the Year, Song of the Year, and Best Instrumental Arrangement Accompanying Vocalists. Again, a Grammy category that I'm not really sure if it exists anymore. But anyway, her second album, Harmonium, was released on November of 2004 and features the single White Houses. And this single was a huge departure from her previous material that was very cbs friendly this one references sex and losing your virginity, and it was a prime example of the more mature themes that would come up on her second album. And the song features actually features acoustic guitar from fucking Lindsay Buckingham of Fleetwood Mac. There's a lot of Fleetwood Mac connections in this episode. I, I have another one later, which you'll enjoy, because um, I think I'm pretty sure Michelle Branch and Stevie Nicks are buddies. Like, Anyway. Lindsay Buckingham was in a recording, uh, was recording in the same building, and he was like, "Yeah, I'll play a little something on this track." After he met the album's producer, who was none other than her then boyfriend Stephen Jenkins from Third Eye Blind. Vanessa Carlton met him, and they began dating when they were touring together in 2002, and that's when the two of them decided to work together on this album. He is 16 years her senior, as I mentioned earlier, so she was dating him in her early 20s. The album was not very label supported. They were not happy with the mature themes and they did not as a result do a whole lot to market it or promote it. So A&M didn't push for more airplay on this one White Houses, which was in fact the only single they released and Ron Fair did not get to control this album. So they were just like not backing it. It had some critical acclaim, but it sold about 200 or 300,000 copies. So I, like 20% of what she had sold in the last uh, for her last album. And eventually Vanessa Carlton ends up leaving A&M records because she saw that she was just never going to have much control with her music. If she stayed, she'll follow harmonium with heroes and thieves in 2007, which was greatly inspired by her breakup from Stephen Jenkins. And she actually collaborated heavily with Linda Perry on this album. And Perry served as a producer On the album. And it's kind of funny because she ends up having a couple of parallels with Christina Aguilera in terms of who she works with. um, Because Ron Fair discovered Christina Aguilera and very much like produced her first album. And same with Vanessa Carlton. And then later, stripped Aguilera's second album is produced or heavily written by Linda Perry. And then, obviously, in Vanessa Carlton's career, she ends up working with her later. In terms of what is like an epilogue here, because really, Vanessa Carlton has kind of just, since then, released music every couple of years. She plays a lot of small venues. She's even gone on to be on Broadway. She starred as Carol King in the musical Beautiful. Uh, but she's just kind of been happy with the space that she's in. She's gone on in her whole career to release six albums. Her most recent Love Is an Art was released in 2020. And in 2013, she married John McCauley from the band Deer Tick, and. Stevie Nicks was the officiant at her wedding, which I love. And what? yes, she is full of surprises. She is. She's friends with everybody. She she she's friends with the Heim girls. She's friends with she's friends with Cheryl Crow. Like Stevie has like some cool friendships. I've decided that if I ever get famous, I want that for me. I want Stevie Nicks connections. In 2015, she and Macaulay will have a little girl named Sydney. and. Over time, the last couple of years, I feel like she's had a little bit of a renaissance between this Vice video and then also a very interesting Architectural Digest open door video tour that I watched all the way through. It is the embodiment of chaotic good, and I kind of love it. I'd also be down to get a drink with her after watching these videos because her mom seems like such a trip. They interviewed her in that Vice documentary, and then her Australian Shepherd, Sinatra, is very adorable, and that's kind of all I really have to say about Vanessa Carlton. Like she's had, you know, several albums between the ones were that were released on A and M Records, but really she's kind of stayed in this one space. It's a it's a little different than Michelle Branch, but I like seeing that she is continuing to release music. And I also think it's funny that she ends up marrying a guy in a group that you know was quote unquote indie, kind of like you know Michelle Branch and Patrick Carney. It's a it's an interesting twist
2: that's really all I have on Vanessa Carlton. Any final thoughts? No, I feel, I really want to listen to a thousand miles now. Cause we've been talking about it for so long. It's been really hard not to like burst into song while hearing you talk about it. So, you know, I'm that. those are my final thoughts. CVS banger. I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm
1: going to re-listen to Michelle Branch after this. I I really enjoy her music. And between my sister and I, we had, I think, both Michelle Branch, the two big albums. And then I think one of us had the Vanessa Carlton album. So fun stuff. And that's really it for us today. So uh, thank you so much for joining us once again and listening to our podcast. If you like what you've heard, you can check out our other episodes on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. We're also on Pocket Casts and Audible. Really, wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. The best way to stay up to date on our latest episodes is to subscribe to our podcast. And while you're hitting that subscribe button, maybe leave us a rating and a review. In fact, we would really love it if you took a moment to do one of two things. Either leave us a five-star rating Or subscribe to our Patreon. That's right, we have a Patreon. For $5 a month, you'll get access to some really great content, including a monthly bonus episode and a newsletter where Margo and I just talk about whatever we're obsessed with at the moment. I don't know what I'm going to write about this month, but I'm sure it'll be full of some fun Thanksgiving recipes. Sorry, you
2: don't know what you're going to be writing today. Just Just today alone. This week week has been relentless with we news. could just
1: write about this week we wouldn't even have to give anyone a recommendation because no you know, how
2: many links deep are we gonna be i have no I just, idea
1: we're link tree worthy i think now Margot, i'm looking at plans after this
2: oh my god well you have to maintain it then i, <laughs> I, I walk away from this <laughs>
1: feel free to check out our patreon we are at old millennials pod on patreon Additionally, we are on social media. So check us out on Instagram or Facebook at The Old Millennials Pod. And individually, you can find us on Twitter. I am at Emily A. Beijen. And I'm at She wrote. And until next time, we say bye-bye. Bye.
2: Bye.